and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harrison. Today, we have another edition of our 10 Question Series. I'm trying to get some of the sharpest analysts in the industry on this show throughout the year. And I can safely say, people, I've accomplished this goal on this episode. So, you already know the man already, but he does content marketing over at Underdog Fantasy. Really, in my opinion, one of the best content creators in the game. You can catch him at youtube.com slash underdogfantasy. Writes the fantasy usage model. We got the blueprint. There's everything he's doing hayden winks hayden great to talk again man it's been a while it has been a while thanks for having me on yeah i'm just trying to follow your footsteps over at roto world when you were grinding like i don't know maybe like 10 columns a week so i'm trying <laughs> to just keep pace out there i think that uh you're probably working harder pr- producing more content than anybody out here so just trying to keep up i had a uh, daigle on this last week and it was the first time i just was saying nbc sports edge without you know just going mm. with roto world so Oh, well, I guess I'm becoming a sellout just like that. Oh, oops. But, you know, it's all good. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying Roto World's apologies to the NBC overlords. Hey, I think Roto World was who was signing the checks back in the day. So screw it, right? But That's right. Uh, very happy to have Hayden on ahead of, uh, you know, Ambitious Week 2. And, you know, Hayden, what I love about, I guess, the way you do content, film, analytics, they go together. You're not lying to yourself trying to say that one's more important than the other to try to make your workload less. It all comes together. Analytics leads us to the film. Film leads us to analytics sometimes. It's all great. So I want to basically center these 10 questions around that mix like you usually do. And let's kick things off with last week's Thursday night football game because afterwards I thought you had a great tweet you just sent out a video including all of Zeke's touches and asked the people of Twitter how was he how did it go Hayden personally I thought Zeke was fine I thought he could have scored on the option pitch near the goal line it would have been nice if Blake Jarwin touched literally anybody on that play but otherwise I don't know that Zeke did anything in game one that is exactly changing my opinion of him as a you know our season-long outlook of him I should say do you feel the same way the first thing we have to talk about is the Bucks defense. Even last year, without Vita Vea, they were number one in rushing EPA. And you look at just historically, when teams are really good against the run, teams abandon the run first off. Like I think NFL offenses, like we hate to say, especially on the PFF podcast, that they feel like they can run the ball, they will try to run the ball. Teams already know that they can't run the run against the Bucks. They they're way too blitz heavy. They just get up in your face even when they're not bringing pressure. So that's why you saw Zeke Elliott actually stay into pass block way more than you're used to. But even with that, he ran 72% of his routes, 83% of the snaps. So you're looking at it like strictly from a fantasy perspective. The role was still mostly there. It was just kind of matchup dependent. But my film evaluation with Zeke was he looked a little bit smaller, which I think is a good thing. I thought there was a one play in particular where he beat Devin White to the edge. Yes, That yes. was encouraging, right? We didn't see that last year at all. It was just kind of, I think, a matchup-based problem. I really wish he would have scored but I thought he looked fine. So like it, I wouldn't overreact. I think that if you're drafting him in like the top four, top five, you're a little stressed. And I understand that, but I don't think he's going to lose his job to Tony Pollard. He just, it's too much for the Cowboys in general. Do you think we overrate the Tony Pollard is better than Zeke storyline? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the one thing with running, uh, like, backup running backs is often they do look more explosive that's also because they're usually being put out in space they're usually smaller tony pollard cannot do the things that zeke can do Like there was like five or six blitz pickups that zeke stood in there and absolutely hammered blitzing linebackers so like that's the stuff that tony pollard is not never asked to do so when they throw this little pitch out to tony pollard and he beats one guy to the edge everyone freaks out but zeke elliott never gets that because he's doing too much of the dirty work so I think Zeke managers will be totally fine in the long run. I think he'll end up being a borderline top five guy. 
Yeah, I, I love that take because it's easy to look at the yards after contact numbers and the broken tackles. Pollard's awesome, but the Cowboys didn't give $90 million to a terrible running back as much as a lot of people try to make that storyline true. So Tony Pollard, very good. Ezekiel Elliott, also very good people. Yes. Is he good enough to warrant that contract? That's a different story. Just chill a little bit on the Tony Pollard is definitively better than Ezekiel Elliott talk. Now, we have another running back situation that just has the fantasy community's brain and a collective pretzel. San Francisco, uh, Hayden, you know, Trey Sermon, RB4. I was right there with you the entire uh, offseason. Unfortunately, Kyle Shanahan was not. You know, never mind that every damn report in the offseason seemed to be singing uh, Trey Sermon's phrases. Apparently, the beat writers knew this all along. They just weren't telling us that this whole thing just pisses me off every time I talk about it. Regardless, Hayden, we can let bygones be bygones. What do you make of Kyle Shanahan's backfield at the moment, and how do you expect it to play out in 2021? I will be ranking Elijah Mitchell ahead of Trey Sermon this week. I will also not be surprised if Trey Sermon outproduces Eli Mitchell. This is just like one of those things where you just never know with with Kyle Shanahan. And like even like last week on September 9th, they were interviewing the 49ers OC and he caught talked about how hard Trey Sermon's working, how good he looks with his cutting ability. He was playing with the first team offense in the literally the preseason finale. So I don't know what happened those 10 days after the training camp and preseason ended, but I'm not like you're going to be like trying to figure out exactly the coach speak and all this stuff. I'm just going to wait and I'm going to be ranking Eli Mitchell as a very boom bust, like running back two, running back three. I do. I'm actually sending trade offers for Trey Sermon just because I actually think that Trey Sermon is pretty good. But both, both of these backs are, are both scheme fits and that's why they drafted Eli Mitchell more, the more explosive back. I do think ultimately Trey Sermon is going to be the better between the tackles runner, maybe the goal line back, and we'll see what happens on third downs. I guess the interesting thing for me is like imagining what this backfield would look like if Mostert didn't get hurt. Because Mitchell absolutely dominated the rush attempt, you know, share in that week one game. They didn't give a shit about what your Michael Hasty was doing out there. So I just wonder, like, was that supposed to be Raheem Mostert just getting 20 plus carries, no doubt? Or are we going to see kind of that Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert almost 50 50 split? I kind of think it's the split, Hayden. I think we see Mitchell and Sermon as early as this week, maybe splitting touches and snaps. That's what I would be projecting here. I don't think that you're going to get the same workload that Eli Mitchell got in week one. I do think that if you were aggressive uh, on your fab biddings for Eli Mitchell, I totally get it because if he is the one guy, he is a basically a league winner with like RB1 potential. But I will not be writing off Trey Sermon after one healthy scratch. There, There's also like a little bit something in the back of my head like, was Trey Sermon not playing on special teams? And is that, was that part, part of the reason why he was inactive? That's like one theory I have. But yeah, I'm sending trade, trade offers for Trey Sermon. And the second somebody drops Trey Sermon, I'm going to be picking him up for sure. Yeah, I was joking on Twitter with the uh, Arrested Development Job. I've made a huge mistake, uh, Jif, when it's like, hey, if we just spent 50% of our fab on Elijah Mitchell, what if Jermichael Hasty just ends up becoming the guy? Oh, no. I'm pretty confident that's not going to happen. I was, uh, you know, looking at your colleague Josh Norris's uh, Twitter today, and he actually retweeted uh, at KP Show, who's a producer for Niners Nation at uh, NinersSBNation.com. And the guy put together just three straight clips of Hasty completely whiffing on pass protection. So, Hayden, I think I'm not positive because we can't be positive on anything in San Fran. I think Hasty is at least out of the picture. I would, I would be pretty surprised if it's Hasty, famous last words. But I, I do think long-term, it's going to be Mitchell versus Sermon, and I'm not going to be surprised if it is closer to 
Yeah, famous last words. You got that right. All right, let's talk about some just kind of more overall teams. Titans and Packers each disappointed in absolutely major ways. You know, we had some other teams with rough weeks, but between AJB, Julio, Devontae, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, there's just so many high-end fantasy assets in these two teams. Which situation are you more concerned about moving forward and why? It has to be the Titans because their offense is changing, at least with the offensive coordinator and AJ Brown and Julio Jones just never want to practice. So there's going to be maybe a little bit of a learning curve. So I, I think that there's more of a domino effect with the Titans. It seems like their offense is set up where it, like, it can quickly, quickly fall off where I think that you have Aaron Rodgers and those guys. Um, so it's basically, it was like, is the Packers offensive line issues? Is that a bigger deal or is it the new offensive coordinator for the Titans. So I'm going to go with the Titans here. I think that Derrick Henry is probably the person I'm most scared about just because you were spending a top five pick and the Titans have to be good. The one saving grace for Tennessee, their defense was abysmal. So if you have AJ Brown, Ryan Tannehill, Julio Jones, I think that the, the game scripts will be in your favor for most of the season. So I, I, I'm not too concerned with either, but I, I'll have to go the Titans over the Packers. Yeah, for the Titans not to get more in garbage time like that was what surprised me with that. I think the game was already, it was 31-13 or maybe already 38-13 going to the fourth. And I was just licking, you know, my chops like, all right, here we go, AJB and Julio. Now it's going to happen. And it just didn't. So overall concern, you know, I just I, I finally finished watching uh, the condensed uh, games of everything last night. And I guess my main takeaways, I said for Buffalo, Tennessee, and Green Bay, I'm going to relax, not going to make any huge decisions for next week. Giants, Falcons, Jaguars, I think we could have a little more of a conversation yes. about should we be freaking out already? Yes. I, I do want to note, there's some Aaron Jones splits that have been kind of on my radar. In the three games Devontae Adams missed last year, Aaron Jones went off 20 points plus in each one of those. And then in like 16 games since Devontae Adams has been back, Aaron Jones is only averaging 14.6 PPR points. That's not RB1 numbers. Like the sample size is getting bigger and bigger and AJ Dillon's there. So I'm kind of panicking on Aaron Jones. I think out of all the first round picks, I think he's the one. He's not going to fall off the edge. He's too good. And the Packers offense ultimately will be good. But these Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones splits are like really starting to get on my radar. I don't know why it takes Adams to get out of the lineup for them to be like, hey, let's throw Aaron Jones the ball a bunch. Like, this dude is maybe one of the most t top – I don't think you need more than one hand to count the number of running backs better yes. in the pass game than Aaron Jones. Like, remember that Chiefs game a couple years ago where he went for like a buck sixty and like next yep. gen was telling us most yards like a running back has ever gained lined up as a true receiver, and then they just ignore him otherwise. Like it's so frustrating, man. And that's like, you know, the whole Jamal Williams thing. Like Jamal Williams has always been fine, but he pissed us off because he was stopping Aaron Jones from getting this workload he deserves. Like even if we don't get the actual, you know, 80, 90% snap rate that we would hope for Jones to have, like you're saying, I, I think he'll be, he's good enough to make do with it. But I guess that RB1 borderline is a possibility more so than we maybe give him credit for. I, I wouldn't be su too surprised if he was like a upside RB2, like where we were ranking him in like as the running back 14 or so. We're also looking at the Packers depth at wide receivers a little bit, a little bit deeper. And like Amari Rogers eventually could be getting some screen stuff out of the backfield. Same with Randall Cobb. So I think Aaron Jones out of anybody between the Titans and the Packers, that's the guy I'd be most stressed, stressed about. Good stuff, Mr. Winks. All right, so I want to talk a little about the Chargers here because we got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and then basically like 
Huge drop-off, everyone else. We had Jalen Guyton doing a few things, but the most notable stat was Austin Eckler absolutely goose-egging as a receiver. With that said, offensive line looked great. I believe Justin Herbert only got pressured on two of his dropbacks against that loaded Washington football team defensive line. You know, I'm not too worried about Eckler. I think you might have some good stats up your sleeve to tell us why, but are we looking at four high-end fantasy assets now with the Chargers between Herbert, Eckler, Keenan, and Mike? I think Justin Herbert's that good, and I have a lot of faith in Brandon Staley. And like you just said, Justin Herbert was under pressure the least out of any quarterback in week one on the road against Chase Young and the boys. So you have to be really optimistic if you're a Chargers fan. Uh, Mike Williams looked good, and I think that there's reasons why he had the most receptions of his career in the first game with Joe Lombardi. That's just like the role that they were trying to get is where they don't want Mike Williams just to be that downfield threat. So I think you're going to actually see like upside wide receiver three numbers from from Mike Williams. And I think ultimately Austin Eckler, when he's coming back from that hamstring a couple more weeks, I think he'll be locked and loaded. So that'll hurt Mike Williams in the long run. He will not be a top 10 fantasy receiver. That'd be even surprising for me as a huge Mike Williams fan. And I wouldn't be too, too stressed over Austin Eckler. In fact, I think we should be kind of optimistic because he got those two inside the five yard line looks. And that's exactly what Joe Lombardi was giving Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I'm so happy we can hopefully start talking about Eckler's goal line usage yet uh, a little bit less. It was him and Chase Edmonds that we just had these minuscule numbers for. I think we still have to worry about Edmonds and James Conner a little bit, but at least for Eckler, give him that work. Like, we don't need to stall the offense just to change the freaking running back inside the five-yard line every time. So, yeah, Mike Williams, he won't be top 10 every week. We get that. But I will say, man, like, some of these behind-the-scenes numbers are pretty damn encouraging. Looking at guys that had at least 10 targets as the quarterback's first read in week one Williams actually had 12 as the first read and Keenan only you know had 10 so if he condenses it around those two guys like they're both could be just fine but if you got Mike Williams in round eight or nine man I think we're already almost at the point where you got to find a spot for him in your flex each and every week he was being drafted like the wide receiver 45 like early on on underdog which was just absolutely nuts we're talking about contract year and I think that it's just the difference in how they're going to use him where he's not just a downfield threat and I think that as the X receiver in this like Michael Thomas role, that's nothing but good news for Mike Williams. But I do not think that means that Keenan Allen's not going to eat too. Right. He went off eight and a half receptions per game with Justin Herbert over their career. So um, it's wheels up for the Chargers. I think they're going to be a legit team this year. Yeah, like you said at first, like Herbert is good enough to enable more than one high-end fantasy receiver. Who would have thought I missed those uh, June and July underdog ADPs, Hayden? That was a uh, fun time to be playing the game. Okay, so one chart that I think I've already you posted a couple of days ago. I've re referenced it on at least one podcast, linked it in my article today. But basically, it's just showing 2021 neutral pass rate. And my goodness, man, the Bengals are at 32%. Only the Lions were also under 40 at 39%. So Jamar Chase, that's great. He learned, remembered how to catch the ball. He beat Breland when Breland seemed like he wasn't even, you know, caring what was going on. T. Higgins got a touchdown, a little bit of a dud from Tyler Boyd. I guess my question is, man, as someone that ranked all three of the guys in the top 24, because before Burrow got hurt, he was number one in the freaking league in dropbacks, like, we need to maybe adjust this still. Like, I'm actually moving, I think, Chasen Higgins down in the ranks because of the overall target share, I think, in this offense just shrinking. Am I overreacting to one week, or do you think we are going to see the Bengals be, you know, one of the more run-heavy offenses in the league moving forward? 
to start the season, yes. To end the season, I'm not sure. We have to always remember, like, it's an, a torn ACL is not a torn ACL. Joe Burrow tore his ACL and his MCL and had some other damage. So I would not be surprised if the Bengals, who are trying to win ball games for the next five years with Joe Burrow, are going to ease him in. Joe Burrow took a couple hits I was not very uh, happy about when I was watching the game. But I'm not too surprised that the Bengals were literally dead last in neutral pass rate. They paid Joe Mixon a ton of money, and you go back – to 2018 that's when the Bengals had the same offensive line coach that's when joe mixon had his best yards uh before contact of his career probably his best season in general so i think that there are reasons why joe mixon had a massive game and then maybe these these fantasy receivers for the Bengals, we have to be kind of concerned about in my fantasy usage model jamar chase was the wide receiver 38 in usage t higgins the wide receiver 39 tyler boyd the wide receiver 82 so Ah. That's not great. I, I do think that you are uh, reacting properly and moving these guys down in the rankings. Ultimately, the Bengals are probably going to be middle of the pack in neutral pass. Right? I think this was just they were up big. It's Joe Burrow's first game back, and Joe Mixon was looking like a total baller. I could not go like a day in the summer without tweeting something about Tyler Boyd. So I'm sorry, people. I maybe should have put a little more thought into Burrow being eased in. Don't cut the guy. Like Again, once we get the usual pass rate back, things will be fine. Like Hayden says, this will hopefully be more of a short-term solution than something we expect to be going on the whole season. But enough of that, Hayden. You mentioned it. I want to talk about the main event. This is the only reason I had you on here. Let's talk Joe Mixon. We could not say one thing about this dude all summer without all of Injury Predictor Twitter coming at our throats. Like, ah, he'll get a bunch of touches for a week until he gets hurt. Never mind he played, what, 14 games in every Every other season that he was in the NFL, as we saw in week one, dude is a threat to go for 30 combined carries and targets each and every week. So with that said, Hayden, I mean, that usage is no joke. You said it yourself. You know, you got your usage uh, or you have, I should just say, you have your usage model that helps kind of show independent of talent what guys we should be expecting to get the most fantasy points. We talked about the Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones concerns. Is Joe Mixon a top five fantasy running back moving forward? So you're not putting him ahead of Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and Dalvin Cook yet. I think you can put him in this group with Derrick Henry, Zeke, and Austin Eckler. That's where I kind of have him. He was RB3 in fantasy usage, and I think that he looked really good. Some of the PFF stats, he was like top five in week one. And you just like look historically, he breaks so many tackles as a receiver, and he was just getting blocked by Giovanni Bernard. So obviously he doesn't have to deal with that. So I do think... We're going to see Joe Mixon top five in fantasy usage for most of the season. If he can hold up, which I don't see a reason why he wouldn't compare to every other running back. I think he has basically the same odds. Then I do think that he's going to be one of the best second round picks uh, in fantasy. I thought he looked really good, broke a ton of tackles. I think he broke the most tackles uh, of week one. And uh, you've got to love the receiving work too. Yeah, he, he let it in total rush attempts. I think Carson actually got him by one or two total once you include receiving. But Mixon looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and some of those runs late in the game particularly, man. Moving, you know, making Harrison Smith look like an idiot in yeah. the open field. Like, Mixon has always been great with these broken tackles. And it, it makes me mad sometimes that people brush aside, like, broken tackle statistics. Like, particularly for a running back. We know how much their job has to do with the quarterback, with the offensive line. Why not put more important? behind one of the only stats we have that kind of gets them in a one-on-one situation. One day, Hayden, I dream of a land, a society where we can have a point per broken tackle fantasy league. How great would that be? That would be good stuff. You guys have, you're the company to do it, so I'll be waiting. (laughs) 
Damn, now you got some pressure on me. I got to go figure this out before uh, I get going with the rest of the week. All right. So, you know, we talked about Mixon. You said he was the RB3, just in pure usage. I get it. We can't project every running back for massive amounts of touches. Some guys are just luckier than others. So I want to talk about Tyson Williams because the Dobbins injury, the Gus injury, the Justice Hill injury, even though I get it, Tyson was apparently ahead on the Jeff chart already. What happened on Monday Night Football, though? Because Tyson seemed like everything was going swimmingly in the first half. Then all of a sudden, Latavius Murray is the guy getting the fourth quarter touches, scoring the touchdown. Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, you know, probably just looking swaggy as hell every day out there in the practice squad. Not into the committee yet, but Hayden, what's going on in this Baltimore backfield? Because right alongside, you know, San Francisco, this is one of the most muddled situations. But as we know, there's a lot of fantasy upside if we can nail it. I think Tyson looked more explosive. I think that they trust Latavius Murray in a lot of these fourth fourth quarter, third down situations. So I would not be surprised if this is a one-two committee. Tyson's more of the, probably the favorite to lead in rushing yards and all that stuff, but Latavius Murray probably going to come in when the, the Ravens are trying to run out the clock perhaps, or on third downs, they're trying to protect uh, Lamar Jackson. So I think that's going to be the kind of split I'll be ranking Tyson Williams ahead of Latavius Murray, but I would not be surprised if that kind of flips later in the season. But for right now, I thought Tyson Williams looked really good, very explosive. He was third in fantasy points over expected in week one. That's a good sign, especially when you're sitting next to Lamar Jackson. I could, I, you should expect Tyson Williams to be averaging 4.5 plus yards per carry that every single Ravens running back since Lamar Jackson has been there has been doing that. So um, I, I'll be ranking him like an RB 2-3 for the uh, foreseeable future. Yeah, that's how I was wondering, like, where do we draw the line? Because Dobbins, for a lot of people, was a top 20 guy. I'm looking at my ranks right now. I have Tyson as RB30. That feels a little low, but I don't know. Where, where, do you know where you have him specifically off the top of your head? For, for this week, he'll probably week. be a couple spots ahead of that long-term. Yeah. I think, like, season-long, that's probably where uh, I would have him in, like, the 30s because yeah. I do think that it's a very volatile situation. But – Week one was, I think, a positive for Tyson just because he looked the part. And we, like, had no tape. I mean, he went from South Carolina to North Carolina to BYU. Like, we hadn't heard of Tyson Williams outside of when he had 99 rushing yards against yeah. my Trojans. Uh, <laughs> so this was, a good, this was a good sign for Tyson Williams, but I will not get too carried away. Um, thank you for being like, you know, we just hadn't seen much of the guy. We didn't know until we saw him out there. Because Tyson, Tony Jones, like, I feel like yeah. when these backups, like, get elevated out of nowhere, all these truthers come out of the woodworks like, oh, yeah, that guy. Like, I, I really like his film. They always have something to say. And, yeah, yeah. people, we got to see him in regular season snaps. That's why, you know, we're done writing off uh, rookie quarterbacks before we see them in the NFL. Mac, like, look at the list of rookie quarterbacks that have just been called bust right away. Josh Allen, Herbert, Daniel Jones. I mean, okay. Okay, maybe he is a bust, but he was at least okay in fantasy as a rookie. And like even Mac Jones, like I think I saw you tweet today. Like you think Mac Jones is already better than Tua. It's you might have a damn good argument, Hayden. It sure looked that way in week one. He looks super polished and he's very accurate. He's not going to wow you with the arms. There's like very few plays where he's winning downfield or near the sideline. He had but the lob the way, to James White. I thought that was his best. That throw was of the beautiful. Day. Yeah, yeah, the touch throw was good. I think that all that stuff completely translated. That's exactly what you saw at Alabama. So just basically like a game of what is the ceiling because Mac Jones is not going to have these Justin Herbert throws. Right. So could he be going like the Joe Burrow path where it's like a lot of dinking and dunking? But if you're super smart and you're super polished and you have the right people around you you could win with that. So I think that Mac Jones definitely is a big week for him, even though the Patriots lost that close game. Um, that, that was not a, an easy game against the Dolphins, and I thought he handled himself pretty well. 
much more enjoyable for me to watch Mac Jones and Devontae Smith when they're not ripping my heart out against the Buckeyes in national championship yeah. games. So love to see these guys in the pros. All right. Let's go a little tight end talk here real quick before we get out of here. We know Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, that's our big three. There's a lot more guys, though, in week one that seemingly, you know, I'm not saying they're jumping into that tier, but I thought we saw some real high-end performances. Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts has some good numbers. We know Mark Andrews will have better weeks. Uh, I was podcasting with Dwayne McFarland, who's on this uh, pod all the time, and he brought up the point where he thinks we might be seeing this middle tier grow a little bit. There might be some uh, better overall tight end options, just a little bit deeper than we've seen in past years. Give me your top three takeaways from the tight end position in week one and just kind of generally, do you agree with the idea that even if we don't, even if we still have the clear cut top three, are there some more guys that we can be really excited about? I think Dwayne's right on. And I'm actually going to go after your top three because I think I'm ready to put TJ Hawkinson right there next to George Kittle. If you look at the routes and you just look at the target projections for these two guys moving forward, it's truly not even close. And we haven't seen what TJ Hawkins can do, could do. Maybe he has taken the next step. I do think it's positive every single week that uh, Jimmy G is out there. That's helpful for George Kittle. Yeah. But I do think that when you have Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle, they were never playing at the same time. So I'm a little worried about George Kittle's target share and all that stuff. Obviously, still freaking George Kittle. He's going to have a massive, massive uh, season. But I do think that T.J. Hawkinson is going to do a great B-plus Darren Waller uh, impersonation this year. So I do think that he's going to be at least in the top three discussion for me. Outside of that, this is where Dwayne was spot on. Tyler Higby runs 93% of his routes. That's good good news for, for like the mid-round or uh, mid-tight end ones. And then Noah Fan actually led the Broncos and fantasy usage. Um, so those are like the two big ones. And then maybe just maybe we get Gronk as like a low end tight end one. He had the usage that we're looking for. And man, I think, I think he was uh, fourth in yards per route run among tight ends last year. And he looked just as good in the, in the season opener. So um, I, I do think that the, the tight end ones are deeper. All the tight end twos just got erased though. And that's <laughs> been the issue for fantasy. But I think we might be going like 10 deep. I'm a little bit optimistic, and by that, I have him ranked as my tight end 21 this week, so I guess not too much, but Adam Troutman actually has some nice numbers beyond the box score. As great as Juwan Johnson's two touchdowns were, the guy played 12 snaps. It would certainly make sense if he plays more moving forward, but Hayden, I'm at least feeling a little bit better about all those damn best ball teams I had in the summer that were relying solely on Adam Troutman as my tight end one. Well, as long as you were stacking them with Jameis Winston, then you're going to be good to go. I thought uh, Jameis was looking pretty sweet. Am I crazy for the the Hawkinson and George Kittle discussion? Like, how, on the scale from one how nuts am I? I I want to see what happens in this Eagles game. Kittle had 15 targets, and he caught all 15 of them against Philly last year. If he doesn't see the target total bump up, if he continues to see just you know a lot more, just like hey go be a freaking monster as a blocker kiddo because you can do that just as well as a receiver that is when i'd be concerned but yeah man i mean i think it's reasonable because if you look at the tight ends last year i do think waller and kelsey like are the best two tight ends and and, and kettle i think they're the best three tight ends in real life and in fantasy yes. but when you look at their targets from last year like waller and kelsey just had i think like 40 or 30 more targets than the next closest tight end so even if kettle even if we know that he is definitely better than hawkinson i mean if we're now projecting Hawkinson for like 40 more targets, he's going to make up that gap. Yeah. I think they're going to be pretty close. I'm for sure ranking Hawkinson over Pitts and Mark Andrews. And that's kind of like the tier where they're being yeah. drafted. So I think that Hawkinson's the winner out of that tier, but I'm not overreacting on Mark Andrews or, or Kyle Pitts. So they'll be solid too. 
I'm just worried about that Falcons offense, man. I don't even know if they can keep yeah. Matt Ryan off his back at this point. Pitts and Ridley should be fine. Everyone else, and maybe Mike Davis. I, we both love Mike Davis. The dude breaks tackles with the best of them, and I guess he doesn't have much comp. It's just like, sheesh, Hayden. That ATL game was brutal. They got dominated. The Eagles front seven quietly is, or defensive line in particular is pretty good quietly, and they're pretty deep. But I mean, they got absolutely dominated. I think that like eighty percent of Mike Davis's yards came after contact, and like the league average like sixty. So that was not a, a good sign for for Mike Davis. He's gonna have to break a, a bunch of tackles. We'll we'll see. I love how uh, like Mike Davis, Dave Montgomery, when you try to go on Twitter and it's like, hey, you know, these guys are breaking tackles with the best of them. Then the argument's like, oh, yeah, only because they don't have the long speed to get away from them. Yeah. And then now we got Dave Montgomery ripping off 50-yard runs against the Rams. And it's like, oh, you know, that's just Dave Montgomery. So great yep. stuff, Hayden. Now I want to give you a chance here to hype up the guys over at Underdog Fantasy. I love it. I think it's the best best ball platform out there on the market. And just the amount of guys you now got and, you know, just working with you are pretty awesome. Trill Withers, a.k.a. at Tyler I Am. I saw you podcasting with him. I got so jealous because I really think he is maybe the single most funny account on Twitter. I guess Peter Overset's cool, too. And I'll give a shout-out to Josh Norris. Anyway, give me your best 60-second pitch on why Underdog Fantasy proud sponsor of the pff fantasy football podcast is awesome and taking over the fantasy football world i think it's the dev team and it's the support team and both of those are growing really fast like for example our ceo is still working on ios code so like everyone even the highest up people are still doing some of these smaller tasks we're very public if you have an issue we have a massive support team nick rudman's also on Twitter, you can always reach out to him. So I think that's the thing is we're listening. We're not trying to make decisions for you. We're trying to we're trying to listen and our support team's growing more and more. So if you have feedback, socks talking about the apps, new products, new games, that's gonna be the huge advantage. And our dev team is in-house. A lot of other people have a third party provider to build their products. All of our stuff is in-house. That makes us have like a long-term new games. And that's where I think the long-term value is gonna come. So it's shout out to the dev team, the support team. Uh, they're all behind the scenes, but they're the ones that are actually working the hardest. I won't pretend to have like a great grip on, you know, the forward thinking business practices going on in the world right now. But I do think there's a lot to be said about keeping as much in-house as possible. Obviously, PFF, us creating our own grades, our own content, sell the teams. Like the more you can just keep under one umbrella, like it's kind of like what Elon Musk is doing with Tesla and stuff where they're just, you know, actively trying to keep everything in the same company. And hey, man, if you can be good at it all too, like you folks are underdog, seems like the best of both worlds. Hayden, bro. That was fantastic. Thank you for the time. Everyone can find you over at Hayden Winks on Twitter. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Um, do you have the, again, the usage model out. Is the blueprint ready to go for this week? No, I haven't started it. I'm, I'm stressing now. I got a plane to catch tomorrow morning going to Utah, and I haven't started my thing. So it's going to be a long, long, long night. <laughs> oh, man. Good luck with that. What the hell is in Utah? Uh, a wedding. Oh, look at you. All right, handsome Hayden, get that tux going. Again, thank you for the time, brother, at Hayden Winks on Twitter. Always love our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes out every single day of the week. Also, just want to invite you guys to check out our PFF subscriptions because NFL Week 1 is in the books, and we have data and grades for every single player who logged a snap last week. With the PFF sub, you can get all of our locked article content, NFL and college football betting dashboards, 0-100 to grades on every single player player prop tool which shows a plus minus value for every nfl prop and more so check out the highest graded players from week one and look to find early value on spread picks and player props for week two for hayden i'm in 
And thank you for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.